0: Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm obsessed with all things writing, creativity, and telling your stories in your authentic voice, because I believe a good story can change the world. Ever since I was a little girl with my nose in a book, I dreamed of being an author. I wanted to see my books in bookstores everywhere. I wanted to talk about books. I wanted to soak up everything about the craft. My celebrity crushes were mostly authors. And I could feel in my bones that the writer's life was my destiny. Fast forward to today. Along with my alter ego Kate Conti, I'm an Agatha Award-nominated best-selling author with three mystery series. But it wasn't all smooth sailing along the way. I experienced many setbacks, crushing self-doubt, a lot of career detours, and I even lost my voice a few times when I let the world get in my way. Until I learned that writing was so much more than just a skill set you learned and developed over time. It's also an inside job that flourishes when you heal all the wounds that are stifling your creativity, which is no easy task. So if you're a writer of any kind, or if you've always wanted to write but aren't sure where to start, this is the place for you, my friend. We're going to talk about all things writing process, craft, strategies to help you get writing and stay writing, the daunting world of agents, editors, and publishing. And because I'm using my authentic voice, I'm gonna throw in a little woo-woo for you too. So let's get writing, shall we? Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. This is your host, Liz McGavro, and I've been waiting for this conversation for a while. I'm so happy to finally be sitting down with my good friend and fellow author, Dave Singleton. I met Dave while I was wearing my corporate communications hat a bunch of years ago. We were put together by someone who instinctively knew that we were going to get along fabulously, and she was correct. Dave and I became instant friends, and we've seen each other through breakups, grief and loss over our beloved pets. Moves, career changes, life changes, you name it. We have weekly therapy sessions, usually with him giving the wisest advice. And I think those sessions are literally saving my life right now. Not surprisingly, one of the things Dave and I talk a lot about is writing. We're both Julia Cameron devotees and students of The Artist's Way. We both understand the impact pursuing a creative recovery can have on your writing, but also your life. And I just love talking to him about these things. As a memoirist, Dave's an expert on how to mine your life for stories and tell them well. Whether you're a fiction or a nonfiction writer, this is so critical because I believe our lives impact our storytelling, both the stories we tell and how we tell them, even if we're not writing about our own lives. Our stories show up in our fictional work and our characters, and if we're not being honest about them, then we're not telling our best stories. And he's going to talk to us about how to do that. So here's his bio. Dave Singleton is a writer, editor, and author of three books, including the critically acclaimed Crush. Writers reflect on love, longing, and the lasting power of their first celebrity crush from HarperCollins, as well as The Mandates and Behind Every Great Woman. His work has appeared in publications, including the Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, PBS, Next Avenue, Salon, AARP Media, Yahoo, the BBC, Washingtonian, Huffington Post, Harper's Bazaar, Tango, MSN, Out, and Scoundrel Time. Ooh, that's a list. He's appeared on television and radio programs, including NBC News, Fox News, NPR, Blog Talk Radio, AARP, Primetime Focus Radio, and the BBC. His writing has been recognized with the GLAAD Award for Outstanding Multimedia Journalism, Media Industry Award for Outstanding Writing, and two National Lesbian and Gay Journalist Associations Excellence in Online Journalism Awards. He's also a contributing editor for the literary journal Scoundrel Time, a teacher of memoir and creative nonfiction, and a speaker at universities, conferences, and events. His website is davesingleton.com. I can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation. It's a really an awesome one, so let's get into it. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Liz. I'm very excited to be here. I'm really excited you're doing this.
0: I'm really happy to have you. I love our conversations, and I think we should record all of them.
1: <laughs> all of our weekly Friday Friday conversations that we've been having for now six years.
0: I know, right? Well, maybe not the first five, but at least definitely this last year.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, it's good, right? I mean, it. we cover everything. We go over Relationships and family and people and all the things that you want to mine for telling your own story. So it kind of ties in.
0: Absolutely, all the people we want to murder in our sure. Oh well, that's right
1: (laughs) for the thrillers that we're going to write.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell people about yourself a little bit first before we jump in and how you started writing and all of that good stuff.
1: I started writing when I was a teenager and I did all of the awful kind of writing that people now go on stage for groups like, um, mortified, which I've been a judge for mortified contest, but I've actually never gotten up on stage and actually done what they do, which is they take their diaries and they take all of this sort of source material from when they were teenagers and go tell their stories. But I have all of that stuff. I, I still have it. I've got this huge file cabinet that goes back to when I was probably 14, 15 and I started writing for myself and, um, I grew up, um, in the Washington DC area. Um, and I have lived, I lived around here for quite a while with some breaks going to Pittsburgh and New Orleans and New York city. I worked in publishing for about 25 years at places like Bantam Doubleday and Time Warner and, um, Scholastic. And I, I think I got, really serious about writing when I was in my, I think it was my early thirties. We can get to that in a minute, but um, yeah, I started telling stories when I was assigned in school. I think I was 16 and I was assigned uh, an essay to go out and write about a person. Hmm. You had to go out and write about a person. And so I chose to go to the local Roy Rogers. Do you remember Roy Rogers?
0: Yep, I do. I yeah. mean, I don't have it where I live, but I, yeah.
1: I Well, it. Yeah. it was kind of a big deal. It was near my, my high school and I was just starting to drive. And so I went to Roy Rogers at dinner time, and I sat in a booth and I wrote this piece that wove in the stories of these four groups around me. Like there was a family and there was one person alone, and um, I wove in this little patchwork story about these four disparate groups, and um did that and I remember showing it to my father the night I did it and my father who was a great lover was a good writer and also a lover of books and all things writing as was my mom and I showed it to him and he looked at it and you know he wasn't quick to give compliments but he looked at it and he was like yeah this is this is pretty good Dave this is pretty good
0: (laughs) that's awesome I would love to read that story. It sounds
1: interesting. Yeah, I would too. I would love to find it. I mean, now it lives in my memory, rent-free. And I think of it as like, you know, the great piece that I'm sure it's probably awful. But um, (laughs) I think of it fondly and I wish I still had it. I don't know why I don't have it. Maybe it's in that file cabinet, which, you know, if you really start digging in that file cabinet, you're going to find Jimmy Hoffa because everything is in this huge (laughs) file cabinet going back, you know, many, many years.
0: I love it, and we're going to have to come back on another episode and talk about your time in publishing because I know a lot of writers, um, including me, sometimes are mystified by the world of publishing. So, <laughs> that's
1: gonna be a yeah, hard. I mean, it was really interesting to be right there. I, I mean, I will. I have some good stories. I mean, when I started, uh, my first big job in publishing was with the Hearst magazine group, Ooh. and that was really cool because. I wanted to work in magazines. I was a complete magazine junkie. I was the kid who, you know, after church or whenever we were going out somewhere and we went into a store to pick up something, I was the kid that they then had to go to the magazine section and drag away because I was glued to magazines, glued to magazine profiles, and (laughs) I guess, you know, just endlessly curious about it. And I wanted to work at Esquire magazine. And I didn't know what that meant at all. I found out it could mean a lot of things from editorial to promotions to all sorts of things. Uh, But I didn't at the time. And I wanted to work there. And I ended up working there. I ended up getting a job. I was the youngest person by 25 years working on new magazine development. And we launched five magazines. So that was cool.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. All right. I like that topic. We're going to have to come back to this. Um, let's let's go back to writing for a little bit though. So was memoir always your first love was, you know, were you just motivated to start telling stories about your life?
1: No, I was motivated by telling stories about people. I think I was just endlessly curious. Um, like that first assignment to write a personal essay about other people. Uh, I, I think I was just curious about people and, I think I was moved by a good story. I didn't know what all the elements were of that, like I do now, but I knew it when I read it. And you know, as one does, you read a great magazine profile or a great book and you know you know it when you read it. Um, So I don't think memoir was it yet. I hadn't really thought about mining my own life for my own stories until I was a bit older. And I think, yeah, I think I was, I, was, I was in my 30s, I think, when I started doing that.
0: So how did you make that transition?
1: Well, I mean, I wasn't publishing a whole lot. I was publishing a few things here and there and wasn't getting paid for it. Uh, you know, I was just sort of getting in like city papers or that kind of thing where they, they weren't really paying um, or s- school papers or that kind of thing. I th- got into it because I started writing columns when I was in my thirties about my friends who were dating and this dovetailed with when do you're, do you even remember like when AOL started sending out all those discs in 1996, 97, you know, to go onto chat rooms and that no. kind of thing? No. Yeah. So that was what happened in 1996, 97. And I, I, I saw my friends, that was the start of like the dating revolution of what is now so crazy as you and I talk about all the time with not only the online sites, but the apps. And, you know, (laughs) I think uh, some comedian said, um, Tinder should be called, I mean, there are these apps that are geographically based and show you like, you know, a, a potential date is five feet away. Somebody said the app should be called murder mate. (laughs) <laughs> because it's <laughs> it's so close. And that's what it's become now. It's like these apps and these sites, and there's so many of them. But back then, there wasn't anything. And I was really into relationships. They were not easy for me. And I was a serial monogamist, which I wrote about in my first book, The Mandates. I mean, I just parachuted into relationships when I really should have stopped and like really looked at them a little carefully, but I was diehard romantic and wanted to be in them. And I was a serial um, monogamist. And I think I was in my um, thirties when I stopped and I was like, wait a minute here. And my friends were also, you know, trying to be much more intentional about dating. And we would get together. I had this group of friends and we would get together. I lived in New York City in late 80s, in all the 90s, and we would get together on Saturdays and have coffee and talk about, you know, either what we had been doing or what we were going to do and dates and that kind of thing. And I remember being really interested in the fact that here we were, relatively successful people. I mean, one of my friends was on Wall Street. I was in publishing. Another friend was in medical school. I just had a bunch of different kinds of friends And they were all very competent in everything they did. But when it came to dating, it was basically like this coffee, (laughs) coffee clatch scramble to talk to each other and figure out what we were doing. And, um, you know, and that's when I realized how essential relationships are to somebody's emotional life. Um, You can be vested in a lot of things in your life, but considering how much your relationships are part of your emotional life. It it was striking to me how little people really talked about it or wrote about it. And so I started writing a few columns that were kind of sex in the city-ish, but for gay men. And I think that's when I started incorporating my own life and other people's stories together. And I think that started me down a path. I had, I had written in New York. I'd written some pieces that I had sold. They were on pop culture pieces, but this was, they weren't really about me. And this was definitely like including me and about something very personal. And it was all of those things that writing about yourself and writing your own story and writing memoir is, which is risky and it involves other people. And you have to think about all those things in ways that you don't really have to do with fiction. So I think that was the start
0: I love that. And and that seems to be the theme that's continued throughout your writing, right? I don't know your second book, but I know Crush has that theme as well. Um, so talk a little bit about that.
1: Uh, well, the theme of Crush is, I wrote that with my friend Kathy, and it's a literary memoir anthology that started from the idea of your first celebrity crush. Now I'd written about celebrities a lot. I'd been very curious about them. Um, and I, it's one of those questions that's been around a long time and you hear people ask it for like a quick round of questions, like who's your celebrity crush. And then they say it really quickly. The today show would ask or somebody would ask. And what I found was when you start asking people that question, I, I, I was hearing these great stories where people would kind of tell a story that would end up not just being about the person, it would be about them coming of age, or it'd be about their family, or it'd be about their best friend. Or, and I thought, well, that's really interesting. And so, uh, we came up with the idea of sort of merging the high-low, con- it's a high concept of celebrity crush. Everybody gets that idea, the first one. And then merging it with the idea of, okay, let's get really great writers to um, write original pieces about that topic. And that's what we did. And it it was great. It was a, just a great experience. And we got some really wonderful people in there, some famous, not, some, not so famous, uh, just a really great mix. But it was about people and what makes people tick. And I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the threads um, of, of like, if you're looking for something to write about, some of the questions that I would ask when I was teaching memoir to help prompt students are questions like what experience with a person shaped or changed you? Um, what rich experiences have you had that you can think of now that had a beginning, a middle and an end, uh, it makes for a good story. Um, what past events were turning points in your life that you'd like to understand better. That was a big one for me. I've written a lot about that. Um, What does your gut tell you that you should write about, but maybe you're afraid to, because if you're afraid to write it, very, very good chance that there's something very good to mine there. Um, And then the kinds of things like what makes you the most passionate, what issues excite or enrage or move you in some way.
0: Those are really fun prompts. I love that. And, you know, those prompts are going to lead to inevitably the the question of, you know, how do you approach writing about people who they may may not be seen in the best light after you're done writing about them, right? But the story needs to be told. And so (laughs) I come across this in my own work, you know, I haven't written a memoir yet, but as a fiction writer, I'm always, as you know, I'm always looking for the next victim and it's way easier to base it on people that I might know. i right? never
1: asked you about this, but I think I'm going to go through some of your books and I'm going to start picking out victims and I'm like, huh? You might
0: recognize some of them. Yeah. Let's,
1: <laughs> that's a fun thing to do over a bottle of bourbon some night, Liz. Totally.
0: But as okay. a fiction writer, you can kind of cover up. Yeah. Right. Who those people are, maybe, unless you really, you know, unless you really don't care. But like Anne Lamott says, you own everything (laughs) that happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. I love that line. It's my favorite line.
1: (laughs) That's so great.
0: How do you do that? Do you just own it and write about them or in a memoir fashion or, you know, how, how do you approach that?
1: Well, amen to Anne Lamott saying that. (laughs) Um, The actual answer is a little more complicated. I get asked that a lot. And I would say that in, you know, I probably taught 15 memoir workshops, um, I would say that question is one of those questions that always comes up and it's usually pretty early on and it's anytime somebody's writing about their life it all sounds good but when they're you know either taking a course or they're pitching an idea or they've really sat down to think about it or started it or written it then they realize okay the rubber's going to meet the road and people are going to read this and see this and I mean writing about yourself is risky enough I learned that lesson too. You start writing about your personal life. And I I mean, I I didn't think before I did some of the things that I did. And we can talk about that a bit too, because uh, when we get to the part about getting unstuck, um, because that's such a big part of a writer's life is getting unstuck sometimes too. Um, And for me, it's about getting some of those voices out of your head. But writers, uh, what what do you call it? Uh, Beginner's mind. So beginner's mind is a really great thing. I wish sometimes that I could go back to beginner's mind when I hadn't written very much and nobody was expecting anything and I could just, I just wrote it and didn't think about it, you know, and there's a lot to be said for doing that. Um, It's risky to write about yourself. It's even riskier to write about friends or family, especially with memoir because the goal is to be truthful. A memoir is the truth. You, you, are supposed to mine and mine and bring the truth out of the story. That is what a memoir is supposed to be. That's what a memoir is. Um, So I think, you know, the answer is I think you can decide later if you want to share your story in a more public fashion. I think save those very fair questions such as, is it too much? Is it going to hurt anybody I know? Can I live with putting this out there for later? I think the first thing is to just write what you want to write as as strongly as you can, uh, with as much insight, truth, and clarity as you can. Um, And those real life issues will come to play, and we can talk about them. But I mean, just getting your story out is so important. And you got to remember a few things. You know, the truth is that your memory is your memory. Uh, we may be in the same place in time with someone experience the same event, but our versions of what happened might be drastically different. You know, that's the Rashomon effect is what I would call it. You know, that movie Rashomon where one event happens and four people experience it in different ways. That's that's perfectly acceptable. It's a normal. I mean, in a way, you have to own your own memory and not worry too much about all the other accounts. And in fact, <clears throat> one of the, the quotes that I remember reading a long time ago from Tennessee Williams, who I love, is this. Honor the story you were meant to tell. Do not listen to the fear and the criticism of those inner voices who wonder how it will be received. Never be afraid of audiences you have yet to deserve until you tell the truth as only you can. You're writing to honor your memories, and you are presenting them to bond and to communicate with others— That is a huge undertaking, and that is all you should be concerned with when you sit before the pale judgment.
0: Ooh, I love that. And that's so true for any type of writing too, right? Whether it's memoir, fiction, just get the story out and, and fix it later.
1: Yeah, there'll be time to figure all of that stuff out, but telling the truth as honestly and vividly as you can is extremely important. And I know with my students they took to that. I mean, that was helpful for for them. They could just then focus on the work and they were in, you know, in the workshops, they were in a safe space where they could share the work and get feedback on it, uh, in any kind of memoir workshop. I mean, it does sort of lean over into the therapy world a little because people get confused. Like if I'm commenting on this person's work, should I comment on what happened to them? A lot of times it's difficult things, traumatic things. Or should I just, like, focus on the writing of it? And I, as the workshop leader, I always felt my job was to try to make sure I was leading everybody down, just focusing on the work part of it. Um, but uh, I would say just write write about it. And one thing I wanted to say about memoir, and I'm not sure where would be a good place to say it, but the other thing is, as you're doing this, it's just, it's not a memoir is no place to get revenge. It's no Mm -hmm. place to appear angelic or cast yourself as the victim. Don't use your memoir to whine or to be one-sided. You have to delve into deeper parts of humanity, yours and those you're writing about, and you have to turn as fiercely critical an eye on yourself as you do anyone else you write about. It can be very, very painful. Uh, Frank McCourt, The author of Angela's Ashes said, writing memoir is like preparing yourself to go to confession. You have to examine your conscience. And the reason I wanted to put this in here is that that's a helpful thing for people to think about, too, because when you do think about telling your story and how it will be received, your intention of going into it and treating yourself with the same critical eye as you would anybody else in your life should, should give you, I think a little bit of relief because, you know, you're not going in there, um, to, to, to write a revenge story where you're the hero and they're the bad guy. That's, that's not even a piece that's going to move people in the way that I think most writers would like to do it. Um, and so that's also something that I think can make writers feel better about putting their real stories out there too, because they're putting themselves out there, as a flawed human being, just like everybody else.
0: Yeah. And I think it's really, um, the insights that you get, I think are the interesting part of that story. Because when I pick up a memoir, you know, I want to I want to hear about how the person's life evolved and how the things that happened to them, you know, changed them for for good. Yeah, um, I'm not interested in you know, like you said, who who the villain is. I want to know how this shaped that person and, and how that person got to be who they are.
1: And I think if you read something, and I think people intuitively know this: if you read something, fiction or nonfiction, and the person has no flaws, they're Superman. I mean. You sort of start thinking of them like some cartoon character because they're not three dimensional. And if somebody's telling you that's the truth and that they're a perfect person, I think most readers have an intuitive sense of, like, well, that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just know that's not true. And I think the flaws are very important for the story, not the least of which to make it more relatable for readers.
0: Yeah. And I think with that in mind, that that's interesting. You know, I don't know a lot of memoir writers, but I have heard people say like so-and-so is too young to write a memoir or something like that. So barring, Mm. you know, someone who had a very traumatic or tragic event happen to them, you know, just a regular, regular person. Do you think anyone's too young to write a memoir?
1: No, I think that's some old wives tale about what a memoir is a memoir. I mean, I think I get where it comes from because in the culture, people would say like, Oh, when I'm old and sitting by the fire and writing my memoirs, I get where it comes from. There is a cultural thing about, I have lived a long time and I have collected many stories and I'm now going to tell them. It's not how I view a memoir at all. A memoir is a story and, um, it's just told from the writer's point of view and the writer's memory, trying to tell the truth, a truth, um, Yeah. So no, I don't think that you have to be any age to write a a memoir.
0: Okay. I didn't think so either, but I wanted your opinion since you're the, you're the memoir expert. (laughs) So what's the hardest part of your process when you're sitting down, down to write a story like this?
1: Huh? I think the hardest part, well, that's a really good question. I think the hardest part is for me is self-belief I think it's self-belief I think it's it's committing to an idea I'm not one of those people who thinks every everything that I think would be a great book I'm not one of those people who you know I I do get a spark and then I run it through my mind and try to evaluate it before I sort of get it to a point where I think oh this could really be something that could be published um But I I have to fight those nagging negative thoughts. I mean, I I think this is where getting back to the beginner's mind, what do the Buddhists call it? The empty rice bowl, right? Oh, yeah. Getting back to the beginner's mind is so important for writers because if you've been doing it a while, you start getting voices in your head uh, from Um, From teachers, from editors, from agents, from colleagues, from other writers, where you have so many voices in your head that you're running over the idea in your head about like, well, you know, who's going to read this? And is this marketable? And is this all these things that people say to you? And I think the hardest part of my process process is the self-belief and quieting those nagging voices of editors, agents, other writers, the world. Uh, and going back to beginner's mind, um, yeah, and and doing what you need to fend off those external voices and just get back to telling the story. For me, you know, the parts of the process that are hard for some people, like research or rewriting or revising, I love all those. So those are never hard for me. If I'm at the point where I'm doing the research or I'm revising a piece, i I love revising. and you know i I really enjoy going back to it and just chipping away and chipping away until you get at what is you think is good.
0: I'm the same way. I love revising too. The first draft is always like pulling teeth for me, (laughs) but when I've got it down and I'm revising, I I can do that for, for hours at a time.
1: Yeah. Getting the first draft down. I mean, that's, it's, it's really a challenge. And you know, when you talk about challenges of writing, I, I think what I would say to writers is just write, 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 and then edit. I think somebody said that to me once, and I love that. Write, 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 and then edit. Because your brain can't do both at the same time. So I think it's important to fire your expectations. Fire them.
0: I love that.
1: Fire the expectations of writing perfect words. Fire the expectations of your first draft being perfect. Fire the expectation that your thoughts are all going to be crystal clear. Try not to let, uh, try not to block the process of getting the words out. Ignore the voice that says this is awful. Maybe it is. I mean, be okay with getting your words down, even if they are awful. First things first, the first step, get your thoughts down. You can zero in on editing and should of course later. And, um, yeah, I think that's a really important way to overcome that particular quandary.
0: I like that fire your expectations. Love it. All right. So I mentioned before how in fiction, you know, I can sneak in a person and kind of cover them up a little bit and, you know, murder them. Um, but what about (laughs) a memoir? Can you do something like that? A memoir? Do you ever put any secrets in your, in your writing that only someone who really, really knows could be able to find
1: secrets in a memoir? Well, I think sort of by nature, the secrets are out in the memoir. I mean, if you've published it, um, I think you can put secrets in your writing that you don't end up actually publishing, you could, you could put things in and then decide to take them out for whatever justifiable reasons. And there are many, you don't want to hurt your mother. You don't want to, uh, get somebody in deep trouble. You'd, you know, there's a lot of r- real life reasons that are very reasonable. Um, but in terms of secrets for, um, yeah, for mom, no, I don't think so. I think you, if you're going to put them in and you feel good about publishing them, yeah, no, they're, I think the secrets are in. I think that's a great part of fiction, though, and one that I'm really looking forward to exploring down the road, which is being able to take the aspects of your life and the people that you know and the things that have happened to you and, you know, then put them in fiction. I hope to do this in fiction. I, I, you know, lots of secrets are just waiting to do that.
0: Okay. So that's a great segue because I was going to ask you for all the fiction writers out there who might be listening, who may want to take some of the ideas from their own life and, you know, put them into their, their fictional work. How do you approach that?
1: I would say using your experiences to inform characters and situations and details. I mean, if you've been writing about your life, you know, like I have, I I mean, for me, I think you mentioned this earlier, like what are the kinds of things, you know, mining your life for stories. I mean, I've done that a lot in my life. I mean, I've written about my own relationships, my own most painful experiences Um, I've written about a lot of painful things, caregiving. I I used my writing, I think, to address those things that were nagging me and keeping me up nights and those things. I think I used all of the personal things and I wrote about, I wrote about being gay during the height of the AIDS pandemic and how difficult and challenging that was, um, in addition to writing about what stimulated me, like pop culture and escaping and all that stuff. Um, So I think taking those experiences that you've had, maybe that you've written about your real life stuff, and then putting it into fiction. um, If you've been writing memoir, if you've been writing creative nonfiction and you have, you understand that details are so important. So if you've got the skills to write a story about yourself and about your life that includes details and rich language and scenes and all the things that help bring a story to life and help you show, not tell, I think being able to bring those to fiction <laughs> is 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 wonderful um, as opposed to just making up people are not basing them on any, you know, base them on people, you know, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Cause it can, give it you, is
1: a lot safer.
0: <laughs> it can give you the ability, I think, to layer it more, right? If, if it's something you've experienced, you kind of know the different layers of something.
1: Yeah, I think for sure.
0: All right. I love it. So you teach writing. So talk about how you got into that and like, and are you still teaching? Are you currently teaching? Are you teaching memoir? Um, and
1: I'm not at the moment, I've done some guest spots. I did one recently at American university and it was really great. I loved it. And it reminded me how much I missed it. And, you know, being on a campus again, mm-hmm. post COVID, uh, post not being able to actually be with people was really exciting, uh, because I did go through a period, um, for about six years where I taught a lot, a, a whole lot. And, I loved it. I it just bubbled up for me. I wanted to share that experience, and I with, with students in workshops. And I loved helping people and helping people tell stories. It was incredibly rewarding. Gosh, I think of so many wonderful people I met and so many wonderful writers, and it became. I mean, I got into it because I wanted to do it and I thought it would be great. And then I got into it and I really loved it and I did more and more and more of it. And then I did stop. I, I think I got busy. I had some family things I had to deal with. And um, yeah, I, I did. So I have sort of moved away from it, but I would like to get back to it. I have been reminded recently from doing a couple of guest spots that um, it's great. It's really wonderful to be around that kind of energy.
0: Yeah. Would memoir still be your topic or would you branch out maybe into other?
1: I think I, I think I would still do that and would do creative nonfiction. Um, I taught some classes because I had a little experience in, uh, multimedia journalism, meaning I, I worked at several places that had print online, radio, TV, and I spent time putting together different, I guess, campaigns um and I th- I think that was a really fun thing to talk to people about how you can tell a story across different mediums. That mm-hmm. was fun. I taught that. Mm-hmm. Um I think it would. I, I I don't know enough about fiction to be able to teach that. I I would like to take a class myself in that maybe you can recommend one or I can learn from you. Maybe you'll teach me. We'll trade.
0: (laughs) I'm doing a course on how to write a mystery. So (laughs) well, there you go. You'll have to join me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to.
0: So, all right, let's talk about fiction. So I know from our Friday conversations that you have been wanting to write something fictional, something thriller ish. Mm -hmm. So are you doing it?
1: I am. Yeah, I am. Can you talk uh, talk about it? I don't think I can say too much about it. (laughs) It's just, I'm really excited to, uh, I'm really excited to try something different. I I mean, I don't know if other memoir, I've never actually talked to any other memoir writers about this, but i got to a point where I felt like I'd mind so many different aspects of my life. And I guess, like I said before, a lot of what I wrote about were things that were really troubling me and that I wanted to understand better. Um, And, you know, Honest to God, like uh, the gay rights movement during AIDS, I mean, is like a well that I have returned to and written a lot about that. Um, Pop culture, caregiving. I've written a lot about myself in those situations, and I'm just excited to, to not do that or to take whatever I can from my nonfiction world and apply it to fiction. So I'm I'm excited to do it. I've written some I've written a couple of novellas, I've written some short stories, but I've never actually attempted writing a novel until now.
0: I'm excited to read it when you're done because I love fillers. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. So rapid fire. One or two sentences unless you want to do more. How and when did you know you were gonna be a writer?
1: Well, I always wrote since I was a teenager and I'd enjoy doing it and occasionally getting pieces published. But I think I knew I was going to be a a professional writer uh, in my 30s. I think it wasn't until my 30s, and I felt my voice, and I felt the urgency, and I felt prolific. That was for writing my writing. I mean, writing communications, as you and I both know, that's very different. You're writing for somebody else. It's not the same as writing your own work. So I would say that in my thirties, I really felt my voice kick in and I felt the urgency and I felt prolific. And that's when I thought, yeah, I was no, I was no longer afraid of rejection or of sharing work to get feedback. And I thought when I got to that point, when I was just like, yeah, I, I want to hear what people say, and if they don't like it, you know, tell me why and, or what can I do to make it better? And I, I realized when I got to that point, I thought, okay, yeah, I think that's, this is it.
0: Cool. Favorite book on writing?
1: Mary Carr's art of memoir pops up in my mind right away. I really love her style of writing, and she's so engaging. She just is such a great storyteller. I mean, there's a lot of people who write about memoir. I mean, Stephen King wrote a wonderful one. There's a lot of there's a lot of people, both current and um, older generations that have written about about it. But I think I like hers the best right now. It's the one. Cool.
0: All right. The next one's really hard and no one can have just one answer. So it's okay if you have more than one, but favorite author of all time.
1: Oh, that's not fair. (laughs) That's like, I hate these favorites, like favorite song. How in the world are you supposed to pick a favorite song? Right. I mean, it changes (laughs) so much. Um, uh, so I guess I'll just free associate and I'll leave out a lot of people. I love reading my friends. I'll say that too. I've got friends who are writers and I'm always excited to read their stuff. Um, I would say f- from contemporary Michael Chabon and, and Carrie Fisher. I love Carrie Fisher. I Just mm. love Carrie Fisher's writing. And then older, I would say F. Scott Fitzgerald. I love his writing and James Baldwin. I'm very mm. moved by James Baldwin. And, uh, my favorite poet is Yates.
0: All right, one no fail way to get out of a writing slump.
1: Oh, a writing slump. Well, I think, like I said before, fire your expectations. If you can't, if you can't get moving, just sit. I mean, I think the writer, the very very prolific writer Nora Roberts, once said in an interview that you know, getting uh, what did she call it? Butts and seats. Butts and seats. B I S. Butts and seats. And, um, you do that, you do that with your workshops, you do, do that with yourself. I think that's really important just sitting there and, you know, whether it's, you give yourself a goal of I'm going to write a thousand words and if they're crap, they're crap, but I'm going to actually do it to just sort of push through it, um, The other thing, uh, and you know, you and I do both love Julia Cameron and I think she's got some wonderful tips. And one of them that I think is, is great too, is don't forget, um, I'm paraphrasing her. So you'll know if I'm getting this right, but is it take yourself on a date, a creative date,
0: artist date. Yep.
1: An artist date. Yeah. So I think doing that. And to me, that just means getting out of your situation. I mean, first firing your expectations is number one, but then number two, changing your scene, changing your, changing your scene can change yourself. And just going to a show, going to a museum, being out in nature, uh, you know, listening to an album, start to finish, um, Whatever it is that's sort of something you haven't done before, anything that sort of breaks your patterns and gets you out of a rut, I think will be good for getting out of a, a slump, right?
0: Yeah, and artist dates, I mean, she talks about them as something that you should be doing weekly, and I have to say I fall down on this a lot. Like, I always yeah. have to give the time to myself, which I'm, I'm constantly working on.
1: Yeah. But I mean, first things first. And if the discipline of, of the first step and just getting your thoughts down and not worrying about whether it's good or not worrying about editing, which you can do later.
0: Yep. All right. You're going to hate this question too. Favorite song on your writing playlist.
1: Hmm. Okay. Well, at least you made it specific to on my writing playlist. Do you, do you write with music, with lyrics?
0: Nice I can't and, really do that. Nice I write. I, I
1: write with jazz, like I uh, Milt Jackson, or uh, <laughs>
0: me too. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Also like sound healing, sound healing, and jazz, and sometimes just like binaural beats or something.
1: Yeah, I've got I've got some playlists that are instrumentals from movies, because movie, mm-hmm. I'm a big movie buff. Some movie soundtracks where it's instrumental, and some of them are you know epic, or some of them are jazzy, or some of them are Uh, Baroque or whatever it is, you know, finding something that's kind of a thematic instrumental That'll kind of get me in the mood and hopefully tie into what I'm talking. I imagine, you know, writing a thriller, playing the soundtrack to the movie Drive. I don't know if you ever saw the Mm -hmm. movie Drive with Ryan Gosling, but it's got this killer soundtrack that's just, you know, really intense and it's all instrumental. And I think, you know, that would be a great thing to have in the background if you're trying to write something really exciting. But um, in terms of a playlist for getting motivated, I do have one of those, too. And I would say that my favorite song to get motivated to try to do something really creative and good is a song called Touched by the Sun by Carly Simon.
0: Okay, I like that. It's
1: got a lyric. um, You want to hear just a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, See if I get this right. If you want to be brave and reach for the top of the sky and the farthest point on the horizon, do you know who you'll meet there? great soldiers and seafarers artists and dreamers who need to be close close to the light they need to be in danger of burning by fire and then it goes on like i i want to get there i want to be one who is touched by the sun i play that i love that that sort of gets me motivated
0: that is inspirational i love that too i have to go look that song up i don't i don't know if i've i must have heard it somewhere along the way well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on. And I hope you'll come back because we have a lot more things to talk about, but
1: we definitely do. Awesome. Thank you. And I'm so excited you're doing this podcast. I think people are going to love it.
0: Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Okay. So did you all love that as much as I did? I love talking about the intersection of memoir and fiction. I think there's so much potential there. I hope you all took away some ideas on how to man your own life for the stories that matter, whether you're writing nonfiction or otherwise. You know, this stuff is so great for fiction writers, too. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've used things that happen in my life in thinly disguised scenes, in my books, in people, you know, characteristics of people. Um, I've used them for villains. I've used them for murders. I've used them for um, just sidekicks, interesting people that I've met along the way and, and kind of adapted to fit my fictional needs. So there's so much that you can take away from this conversation, even if you are not a straight up memoir writer. So I hope it resonated with you. I'd love to hear what you like the best about this episode. So let me know over on my Instagram page. You'll find that along with all Dave's info in the show notes and make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed it With a new pod, it would really mean the world to me to get this information into the ears of anyone who needs it. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.